yeah, it's the implications of our being uh, the Paramatma being our source. So you have just to go through it um, different manifestations of uh, Krishna and uh, different realms over which they preside. So you have Krishna residing presiding over Goloka, for example, Narayan over Vaikuntha, Mahavishnu over the Maya Shakti. And so they're all manifesting associates hmm, for their leelas. Hmm? Even the material world is a leela. It's called Shristi leela. So the leela of creation, the play of creation. There is no real creation, but it's play. <laughs> um, and, of course, when we say manifest from Krishna, manifest from Narayan, there's not a point in time where this happens. It's... Uh, it's a it's a it's a reality that language cannot do justice to. So we're limited by language, and um, so however we talk about it, it's going to sound like there was a beginning to it, unless we say there was no beginning to it. <laughs> um, uh, but there's not a word for it, so to speak. And uh, uh, so, at any rate, um, the Mahavishnu is the one who throughout all the scriptures, through the Upanishads, the Puranas, the Gita, um, the, uh, the Tantras, Chaitanya Charitamrita, our own, our own uh, Bhakti texts, our Sampradaya, um, repeatedly, it's everywhere, everywhere it's stated that the one, Paramatma, becomes many. Sometimes that is taken you have such an, like for example, an Upanishadic statement, Eko Bahusham. The one becomes many. Um, from a Gaudiya point of view, they say, so Krishna is expanding his Radha. And so they can be taken in that way too. But again, I've already made that point. Right? That relative to the realm of his jurisdiction or play, field of his play, then he has to have somebody to play with. So the one becomes many. And Mahavishnu. His field of play is, uh, let's say, his jurisdiction is. It's not really a field of play, so he's not very active, other than in the forms of avatar that he descends into the world for the purpose of resolving the problem that has arisen from him becoming many, because the one has become many out of joy, but because his field of jurisdiction is the Maya Shakti, the many are small becomes a problem for the many hmm? whereas it's not a problem for him so to resolve the problem he descends as different avatars through Brahmi manifest the Vedas there are devotees canvassing and so forth to solve the problem um, but the point is relative to your question that the Badajiv the Nitya Badajiva his source as stated in the Parasamparamatmasamdharma excuse me, where Jiva Goswami is actually citing a Rishi from the Ramanuja, I believe, Sampradaya, hmm? wherein uh, various uh, qualities, uh, constituents, constituents, uh, elements, ingredients, the makeup of the Jivatma is described. So among a list of things uh, described there, Sheshabhuta Prasya, by the last one um, so it speaks about the 
origins then of that jiva from Mahavishnu, the one who's become many. And um, the obvious uh, implication is that that we have a natural and uh, inborn, inherent, <laughs> if you will, uh, attraction to our source. Hmm? So we are everyone tracing out their their source, if you will, in one sense, or another, their origins. Their their source is is something about themselves, right? Hmm? It's not separate from themselves. So so there's a natural. This is broad, of course. It's insane that Prem is inside the Jiva or Bhakti is inside the Jiva. But there's a natural affinity such that, that, that without bad association... <laughs> um, I remember some years ago listening to a, a famous fellow in the realm of philosophy of mind giving a lecture, and he was saying if it weren't for like so many centuries of religious we wouldn't have a problem in thinking that that the mind is is uh, your consciousness is is not something that's uh, separate from matter basically that's what he was saying and uh, I was thinking just the opposite as he said it we wouldn't have had you know decades if not now centuries of this oppressive Counterintuitive, self-dismissing, uh, 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 self-destructing, uh, so-called philosophical <laughs> uh, perspective, hmm? in the natural uh, course. Without that opposition, we find in from from Aboriginal. Uh, tribes, if you will, to sophisticated cultures, like the Vedic culture, for example. Um, or if you even want to look at Europe as cultured, another example. We found, without this oppressive idea, the natural tendency is to think that one has a source and uh, to, to unite with it and to connect with the world, to be connected to the world, so to speak and find purpose and enchantment in it and meaning and so forth. So what's happened in, in recent uh, modern history, of course, there's this disconnect. Humans have been disconnected from the rest of uh, society, the rest of the natural world and so forth. And um, it's arguably the cause of lots of uh, um, an ongoing existential crisis that should appear in an adolescent life, which didn't go on for forever, <laughs> um, if you will. So, at any rate, yes, the, we, we, there's a natural kind of affinity, attraction, connection with our source. So if we were to lay out a bhakti uh, perspective, it would, it would fall in somewhat receptive ears, if you will. It's, it's not a foreign... Imposition, probably would use terms like that sometimes. Artificial imposition, it's a natural uh, condition. Of course, we have been moving against it in one sense, that's material existence, but to philosophize against it and so forth. It's one thing to be moving against it in that knowingly or unknowingly I'm acting as if I'm the center. Hmm? 
as everyone is forced to do in all species of life, so to speak. If we get to human life, there's a chance to see beyond that, right? Hmm? And and start to think that less is more, and acquisition is 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 not the solution to my problem, hmm? and so on and so forth. But if I then get this get burdened by this uh, uh, very unnatural counterintuitive philosophy that 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 just doesn't quite work, just doesn't quite fit. They keep trying to fit it a round peg in a square hole. They try to fit uh, experiential reality into non-experiential reality. And we have, and, and experience does not arise out of non-experience. So matter is non-experiential. But we are experiencing matter. It's not that matter, however you tweak it, is going to turn it. Not that it was a non-experiencing substance is going to turn into an experiencing substance. Hmm? That's very like, I mean, it's worse than counterintuitive. Anyway, there's a, a strong oppressive current of such thinking that's uh, become uh, prominent, unfortunately. Um, so we have that pushing against then the, opp- the opportunity of human life um, even if placed before us may be more difficult uh, to, uh, to, to embrace. Uh, during the time, for example, of the Gita, uh, speaking of the Gita, you, you don't. F- there are there are arguments. Hmm? Uh, the, the time of the Goswamis, there are arguments as to the nature of reality, but atheistic arguments are just not even considered. There's one statement in the Gita, I think, that Krishna says. But anyway, even if you're an atheist, you should think like this. One statement in the second chapter. This is, it wasn't a prominent, you know, kind of uh, uh, thinking. Hmm? Now it's become it's very, very, very prominent. We're the we're the, we're the outliers, you know, <laughs> here, uh, the odd, odd, odd persons, if you will, transcendentalists. Hmm? Um, so. So anyway, yeah. So the jiva has a natural kind of affinity uh, for its source. It's going to fit there. That's a fit to connect with matter and try to make the, that the uh, a, a comfortable um, environment is just not going to happen. You've got your proverbial fish out of water type of situation there. Hmm. But uh, when consciousness connects with consciousness, so Sarup Shakti, Tatasa Shakti, they're of a likeness. They're both of a chit, chit nature, rather than achit, like matter. And of course, um, uh, the Paramatma, Mahavishnu, he's outside everything, he's inside everything, hard. So, um, yeah, it's a way of saying it's not an artificial imposition. It's the natural position. At the same time, it falls short of saying bhakti is inherent in the jiva. It means the jiva is 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 fertile field, a fertile field for um, uh, for, for for the seed of bhakti to take root. To, uh, to uh, flower and, and, and a fruit with good with good care. If you want to plant it in, in the Maya Shakti, you're, you're, you're not going to get the same. It's not as fertile as fertile a ground. 
right? So we have a natural capacity, to, propensity, um, uh, potential uh, to love. It is just connect, meet our source. A young boy has a potential to love. He has to meet a girl. He doesn't change when he does, but then he becomes more. He feels like So, but ingress of the Srupa Shakti, this is a similar idea. Does that help? Sure. He's the one who became many. There, you know, out of joy. Sure. And here he is in a compassionate Leela. Right? So, he's compassionate. He follows the Jeeva everywhere as a witness. It is through the Mahavishnu that all the avatars come. What's their purpose for coming? I mean, they come to for Leela, but they're Leela avatars. They're Yuga avatars. Let's look at that, for example. Right? So what's the purpose of the Yuga avatar? It's certainly for establishing the Dharma. And, uh, while it may involve uh, primarily, in one sense, um, uh, ministering to and showing compassion for the devotees, obviously through them it overflows to all the all the people. So it's a it, it, and it's what we find, for example, in the way to charge you, who is the Mahavishnu of Gorilla, this huge compassionate sensibilities closer to the world. Krishna's a little bit removed, but it's not the Mahavishnu is not a is not uh, not Krishna same time, right? So we should think of Mahavishnu is compassionate and Krishna is not. No, it's one of the qualities of Krishna that he's compassionate. But the, uh, the difference is that, 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 that Krishna is, is always surrounded by a Sarup Shakti. That's his, that's his field. He's not, he doesn't go outside of it. They won't let him out. That's what it means to be controlled by love for Krishna. Prem has that quality, Krishna Karshani. It attracts Krishna. Who's attracting everyone? He's attracted to Bhakti, so he can't get out. Not that he wants to. He's in a tight and affectionate grip of his devotees. So how can he minister to the common people? The devotees do that. They are his extension. They are his Kripa Shakti. So they, they do that. The fact that they do that doesn't mean that he's not compassionate. It's it's his way it's the way in which his compassion that they are feeling is extended he's ex- it's being extended that's where it's coming what what uh, enables you to become be compassionate is that someone's been compassionate to you at least it helps right if someone's been kind to you and that's that shows compassion then you have experience of it Share it with others, and of course there are sadhakas always in the world, and different levels of being aware of the world and uh, in touch with it and its uh, its inhabitants and so forth. So, um, largely the intermediate devotees are doing that kind of compassionate uh, outreach, but it's not different from Krishna. So. Mahavishnu, not different. It's his, it's Krishna, Krishna is the fountainhead, so 
people coming from him actually. Yeah. What else? I think that uh, the Kanishta sensibilities are tend to be more. Um, I want to say black and white. Um, then, then, then the gray, the reality is, if you will. Um, so there may be, depending on how they're taught, of course, but there, there may be a more natural tendency for them to identify with certain uh, overtly bhakti practices, practices that are roots of bhakti, like hearing and chanting. Um, uh, identify that with... Um, what bhakti constitutes rather than any number of things that one could be doing in the context of bhakti said Vaishnavira Kriya Mudrapinyanapujai so the activities motives of the Vaishnava are hard to ascertain he or she may be doing things that ordinary people are doing Bhakti Siddhanta story is told in the early days when he was beginning his his preaching one fellow came uh, and was thinking of joining him, hearing his talk, so forth. But then he saw that he was doing management, and I said, "Oh, it must be partly in Maya." And he he, he left. Uh, a little more of the story, but um, it's kind of like what you're talking about, I think, um, if I understood your question correctly. So there may be a tendency um, in those who are less experienced, whose um, understanding is more of out of the book or black and white uh, um, to uh, not as readily make the connection with the serving ego and what's required to culture that um, and uh, the activities of bhakti it's kind of like uh, the Kanishta will lack some Bandagyan also. So it's, uh, let's say you have a book, right? It's full of words and letters and so forth. But, nice example. But if you, but if you don't know the language, then what, what, what use is it, right? So, so um, that's why it's so important for the Kanishta to get some Bandagyan and, and then get take the theoretical and put it into the, put it into the, into the practical and living living situation and enter into the spirit of bhakti rather than just going through the motions of um, what 
seems to be what is said to be bhakti. This is bhakti here, chanting. It doesn't say anywhere washing the dishes is bhakti. That's kind of what you're talking about, maybe. I'm not sure, but um, so that the Kanishta may have may have that you know uh, tendency to not make the the connection as as as, as, as readily. Um, Madhyamadhikari, obviously, uh, 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 is uh, doing that. And the maybe the Uttamadhikari, there may be, in the Uttam circumstances, may just be chanting and uh, and uh, may not have uh, time for anything else. Can't 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 go with the name. So he seems to be uh, letting things deteriorate. Madhima certainly making things I'm saying like in an ashram setting or something like that you go to some situation and sadhus can't can't do anything practical it's possible it's possible to find such a situation because the name won't let them let them go so then someone has to come do things for them right that's a good opportunity so I don't know does that answer your question or difference? Discrimination. Well, the Kanishta lacks discrimination. The Madhyam is characterized by discrimination. And the Uddhama lacks discrimination. Also, the Uttama's lacking of discrimination is arising out of having discriminated wisely. Discrimination means that this is the function of the intellect, right? So the Kanishtadikari typically doesn't uh, isn't able to discriminate which would associate with, who not, what's a real devotee, what's not a real devotee. Doesn't even recognize the devotee in the in the, in the, in the uh, classical. Kanishta uh, stage of realization described in the Bhagavatam. He just recognizes the deity, but not the devotee. So, not interested in the class, but he wants, wants to chant or uh, uh, serve the deity or something like that, um, but not here from the Vaishnava. So, um, he has a kind of a, he's kind of a, there's a, there, there's a tendency to find a, a pseudo. Uttama in the form of a Kanishta. The Kanishta is not being properly trained and taught and, and um, educated, given some bandhagyan and so forth. Then he can be a pseudo um, Uttama and think that the discrimination of the Madhyama is some kind of Maya. Once I was invited to an all night kirtan. In Hawaii, I was in Hawaii and I was invited to an all-night kirtan. I said, "No, there's no, no, uh, no philosophy at all. No, no talking. No, no, no. We just do kirtan." 
And later I found out I didn't go. Later I found out they do kirtan, and then they do a few other things along with it to augment the um, kirtan, like smoking and drugs and so forth. They were, they were. It was a, that was the all nighter uh, festival. No, no time for no philosophy required. Um, so anyway, they, they they just wanted to. Where you get that? Without that, you know, we don't know any philosophy. Because the name is everything. Chanting is everything. Just chant, everyone will become purified. Philosophy just divides people. There'll be differences, so forth. Just it. But this is a very false um, uh, understanding, very Kanishta understanding. This big emphasis on kirtan only. Bhaktivinoda Thakur was, was his emphasis was so much on siksha because he could see people were chanting, people were idealizing what Chaitanya Mahaprabhu was about and so forth and they were making a, a mockery of what uh, the life of the Goswamis was uh, was actually uh, like hmm? um, so he wrote so many books and he felt there was a dearth at the time of teaching available he wrote so many books hmm? um, so much energy he put into that um, so now sometimes it's this tendency we're left to a kirtan, 24-hour kirtan, just to bring everybody together and everyone will get purified. But again, it's like, I gave the example, you have the book, it's got the words in it. If you don't know the language, what are you going to get out of it? You can, you can try, maybe, maybe after time, you know, take you a long time. But if somebody comes along and teach you the language, you're going to go a lot quicker, right? Hmm. So it was Bhaktivinotakura's practical experience. Without Sambandagyan, without Sambandagyan, in the in the in the fullest sense of the term, people won't even know what the Namaparads are. So he was experiencing they're they're born as Vaishnavas, they're chanting Hare Krishna, or, or they go to the Kali temple and chant Kali Kali. Hmm. They don't know the difference. So that's Namaparad. Without Sambandagyan, how can they overcome up op, such aparads? Hmm. And if that's true with regard to Namaparad, then certainly more Sambandagyan is not going to hurt you. It's going to help you. Indeed, what distinguishes the eligibility for practice from neophyte to intermediate is understanding of the scriptures. Because faith, Shraddha, should be Shastriya, derived from the scriptural argument. I mean, how, why do you have faith? Because somebody spoke to you the teaching, right? So more teaching that will help to grow the faith. So there's a kind of a pseudo utum adhikari and uh, and sometimes it takes the form of some uh, some um, uh, lack of interest philosophy we're characterizing the philosophical discussion as intellectualism or argumentiveness and so forth I mean people can argue like that and it can, it can be can be a waste of time that, that, that that's true but um, there's a, there's a place for the point being using your intelligence to understand the philosophy that's what Krishna says in the Gita in the end those who study this teaching word for word, upside down, inside out, and backwards, meaning they worship me with their intelligence. So Nishta, which we could say is identified with the intermediate devotee, 
is very much about the intelligence being engaged. It's not an intellectual. It's it's it's, it's the same time. It's it's acquiring through the exercise of one's intelligence, understanding of the philosophy. If it's done properly, it's also giving a big, uh, raising a big stick to the intellect itself. So you can see, for example, myself, I'm constantly criticizing her intellect, reasoning, its limits, it can't be on the altar, and so I'm using reasoning, right, to, 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 to do that. Hmm? So, you, 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 it's not just acquiring information with your intellect and becoming then enamored by your abilities to regurgitate some teaching and so forth. You have to, it has to be integrated such that you, you know well enough that you're giving a beating to your own intellect at the, at the same time, keeping it in its place. So, the Kanishtadikari lacks discrimination. Discrimination means this, this is right, this is wrong, right? And this is what bhakti is. This is not bhakti. So there's a big place for that. And if we are uh, not interested in that in the name of chanting or, or something else. Uh, one guy, I was giving a philosophical lecture, once one guy said, Marge, whatever happened to just chant and be happy? I mean, we have to really listen to all this stuff. I said, you tell me. He said, what do you mean? I said, well, is that what you do? Do you just chant and be happy? Or are you unhappy and not chanting half the time or three-quarters of the time or nine-tenths of the time? Hmm. The reason is because you know you're, you're, you don't have a taste really, and not, now you're also not willing to undertake the, the laborious task of taxing your intellect to understand what is bhakti and what is not, what you're doing, what your practice is. Therefore, therefore you can't chant and be happy. On the other end, yes, Mother is chanting and being happy. <laughs> I mean, you can simplify it in one sense. You got to get people started, right? Chant, be happy. Yes, yes, yes. But you can't just leave it at that. Right? From there, and who would want to? I mean, do you want to learn more about it? What is what is the name? How to chant the name? So on and so forth. So there's a tendency to, for that to arise. This kind of pseudo uttam adhikari, although he's actually kanishta adhikari, and the similarity is that. Just wants to just just chant. He doesn't want to find any any falls in anybody or anything, or argue. Just chant and, and be happy, and so forth. But he, but he can't really do that. She can't really do that. Hmm. So then, on the other end, if you go through the discrimination, the Uttamadikari, the, the Kanishtadikari, excuse me, the, the Madhyamadikari, as I say, is characterized by by discrimination. So Bhagavatam says, Ishvari Tadineshu Balishu Balam. He says, Ishvara Tadidi Neshu Bali Sheshu. I can't remember. Anyway, fourfold describes. He, he worships God, Ishvara, cultivates that. He makes friends with the Bodhis. He avoids the envious people. And he ministers to the, to the innocent people. So what's happening there is there's discrimination. Seeing there are some people stay away from. Asatsangatyak. Their sangha is asat. So, yeah, if I give that up. And, and, and satsangha, that's another thing. I make friends with the, with the bodhis, so there's discrimination. Then there are bodhis who are 
uh, not uh, of the same. They're innocent people. So I share the teaching with them. I worship Bhagwan. So it, it, it's not just the, the, these four things, but these are uh, a way of saying that the intermediate uh, devotee's life is characterized by proper discrimination. Obviously, discrimination can have a pejorative uh, connotation or it can have a very positive one, right? You can discriminate inappropriately. I think that white people are better than black people or something. Classic racist example. We're talking about discrimination being, as is sometimes said, the better part of valor. That's an old saying, an old English saying. So, to use your intelligence in bhakti. Mm-hmm. So, uh, that really leads to internal uh, experience, internal bhakti, from external bhakti, internal bhakti. And when you have experience of internal bhakti, then you're not like in the book so much, out of, out of the book. You can flow yeah, in the practical application of bhakti. You might say, the book says this, but we do it like this here. And I'll tell you why later. And you put it all together and so forth and so on. Let's just get it done. Something like that. So uh, then, then then we go to the Uttamadikari and, and he can't discriminate. Hmm? Bhagavatam says, he sees Krishna and everything, everything in Krishna. So everything's fine. Everything's good. That's why sometimes an Uttamadikari, if he or she is in an Uttam space, what I mean by that is who could be a better Uttamadikari, if you will, than Krishna in the form of a devotee as Chaitanya Mahaprabhu? Was, was Chaitanya Mahaprabhu Uttamadikari? In his Acharya Leela? Certainly was. But a good part of the time, he was acting like a like a, like an intermediate devotee because he was teaching, and to teach you have to discriminate, hmm? right? And uh, in his even in his uttam kind of phase in the, in the Lila, of course he would he was when he was acting as a as a kind of an intermediate devotee, still he would go into trance and swoons and so forth. So I'll get to that, but. It, it, but his, when he did that, then he couldn't teach. Right? Mm-hmm. So the Uttamadakari is not necessarily a good te- the best teacher. <laughs> um, but if he can, as Prabhupada used to put it, bring himself down, so to speak, to the external consciousness to discriminate, then his power of discrimination preaching will have more force and power um, an influence on others than the Madhyamadikari who does that mm-hmm. and doesn't have the same capacity to enter deeply into yeah. the inner life and lose the external uh, perspective. Mm-hmm. So, but if he stays in a Uttam state, then not so you wouldn't benefit by serving him, but you know, he's not going to teach you anything. 
I mean, there's a kind of a Zen, you know, whatever, sitting with the master, and I learned everything type of, you know, that's that's there. But uh, I mean, it, teaching is another thing. Actually, teaching the scriptures and so forth, which is the uh, work of the, the charges. So, so, um, so, Uttamadikari lacks discrimination. Let's give another example to illustrate the point. Kanishtadikari takes his food, offers it on the altar. It's offered like this. Then he'll eat only after that. So that's the Kanishtadikari. Madhyamadikari is always offering everything and his mind. Anyway, so you can give him something, give him the fruit. His mind, he's offering to Krishna, and taking. You can start saying, You didn't offer it, Maharaj. You didn't see Mars and Maya. He didn't offer that. Yutamadikari. Then, if you give him an apple, he won't offer it to Krishna. Because he'll think, Krishna's giving me an apple. Krishna's giving me, this is Krishna's mercy. <laughs> it's already prashadam. <laughs> it's already prashadam. And he's right. <laughs> so, different perspectives, right? But the two ends of the spectrum, just like if you go far enough to the right, you're going to end up on the left. You go far enough to the left, you can end up on the right. Tamagun looks like Satvaguna in some respects. What I mean by that? The sage is living in the forest, under a tree, eating only what falls from the tree, for example. And the monkey, and he's, there, and he's, and he's just wearing a, practically nothing. The monkey's living in the forest also. Right? He never touches the ground. Mm. Only eating fruits. Right? So they're, they, they're similar, but they're gunas apart. One is in the tamaguna, one is in the sattvaguna. But there are some, some similarities. You know, between Maya Shakti and the Sarup Shakti. They're worlds apart, but they're similar. Calm and praying. The difference between night and day, but they look similar. Hmm. You understand? So similar. Kanishta, Adyam. Kanishta, Uttam. They look similar in some respects, but they're quite quite different. And it requires the Kanishta to pass through the Madhyam to actually come to the Uttam perspective. So there's some work. Mango, you gotta plant the seed, you gotta dig the hole, you gotta water it, you gotta protect it. Take a while. And the first year, some fruits will come, don't eat those. You don't go and show them, see, I've got a mango. So if a little bob comes, you don't go, see, I've got a bob. 
still in the way if you take those early fruits. We may not, may not produce the next year. What else? Can I help? Yeah. Chaitanya Mahaprabhu was originally uh, first a pundit, learned and so forth, and, and uh, he is um, everybody loves him except the Vaishnavas. They love him too, but they're upset with him because he's not taking the Vaishnavism. Everybody loves Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, Mahai Pandit. The Vaishnavas are upset with him. Well, they love him too, but they're upset with him. Wasting your life like this. Wasting your life. If only you might find it would become a devotee. Of course, then, by the well wishing of such devotees, he becomes a devotee. And what kind of devotee he becomes? Right? The leader of them all. And they conquer the whole of Nadia, which was so much opposed to Bhakti. And Puri is conquered. And then the South is conquered, and Benares is conquered, and so forth. So, yeah, in the early um, Adi Leela, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu has not begun to show himself as a devotee. He begins when he meets Ishwar Puri. That's good. So, Guru Parashraya is the beginning of Bhakti. Bhagavad Bhagavad describes in Bhagavad Sindhu that he describes 64 angas, limbs of the body, angi or bhakti, and it begins with Guru Parashara, right? taking shelter of the Guru. Don't get the cart before the horse. That's common these days. Common other times too. Bhakti Mutapa said, Oh, everybody in Kali Yuga thinks the previous Acharyas are good. This Bhakti Vinod said, <laughs> How is he, what he was experiencing? To some extent, opposition. So, so Chaitanya Mahaprabhu was teaching this point. When he met his Ishwar Puri, he met him. He, he, he had lunch at Sachi's house, had some interaction with Mahaprabhu with regard to his book that he had written and so forth. And then when Mahaprabhu went to East Bengal, he took initiation and came back as a devotee. Then for a short period he was in Nadia before going to take his sannyas and going to Jagadguri. After he became a devotee, so to speak, he began to manifest his. his Leela as a Vaishnava, lived in another Prabhu, came on scene. Within a year, year and a half, then they were gone to Jagannath Puri. Nityananda was coming back. 
annually, commissioned by Mahaprabhu to deliver Bengal. So, yeah, the early, uh, and then, then you find, of course, once Mahaprabhu was taking sannyas, now he's systematically pursuing bhakti. Once he got initiated and then, and, then, and then taking sannyas, then he's also teaching systematically bhakti. So the Madhi Leela of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu is, is very helpful for us if we find all the teachings. Right? Teaching is Prakashananda Saraswati to Sarvabhom Bhattacharya Rup, Sanatana, Venkatabhatta, and so forth. And if you imbibe the teachings, then apply yourself, then you can follow him into the, into the uh, Anti Leela. Now he's no longer a public person. Now he's retired. Mad. And from there, where is he going? Internally, he's going inside. Where is he ending up? Back in, back in Nadia, back in Navadvi, the house of Shiva's, doing kirtan, where they experience Vrindavan. The whole teaching of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu comes out of the kirtan, then, be, then, he be, then he begins to give it to the people and show them how to enter into that kirtan. Means how to, how to enter into Vrindavan. You can't just jump to the uh, Antilila. Right? But um, that said, the Adi Lila and the Prakat, the manifest in this world, before Chaitanya Mahaprabhu becomes a devotee, is very sweet and charming. All the Vaishnavas are they're friends with you, schoolmates, classmates, and so forth. And very, very captivated by him. And to the, un, to the trained eye, of course, which we get from the question of the commentators who say, oh, he's Christian, he's, he's acting like this. It's understood later, of course, but others get the glimpse of it. Maybe he's Krishna. He's so Krishna conscious, maybe he's Krishna. No, maybe. He shows the come back to external consciousness. Very sweet. What I think that there's the principle of revelation. That, uh, I mean, it's a word um, that uh, the implication of which is, as we're talking about it, is that there is knowledge that is not um, 
possible to, to, to gather by uh, external means in which the knowledge becomes something that you own and use for your purpose. Revealed knowledge is knowledge in which you find out you have a purpose and it has a purpose for you. Ordinary knowledge is you use for your purposes, materially speaking. Revealed knowledge, you find out it's alive, it's not a dead thing. It has a purpose. It has an agenda. I tend to get knowledge and make it part of my agenda to sell myself. This knowledge is such that I find out it has an agenda and I'm on it. This is a complete reversal. It's a different kind of knowledge. And so there are examples of this kind of uh, knowledge that uh, comes to us um, apparent. It comes to us through, through mystics. If somebody, if you want to say the Vedas were unauthored, still they're written down by somebody, and then, and then and it's who got the knowledge. So um, the word Upanishad, for example, means sit close, sit near. The implications of which, because I want to tell you something secret, that's not the common knowledge. This is a different kind of knowledge. And um, so, revealed knowledge is, is knowledge then, uh, first of all, there's the principle that we gather knowledge with our intellect, mind and intellect, right? But we feel that the mind and intellect are really not capable of arriving at conclusive knowledge or knowledge that will make me perfectly happy. They're, they're, they're faulty instruments. And people have been using them for a long time to be perfectly happy and they're not getting there. But there are some people that are perfectly happy. We would say Jesus was perfectly happy. The story about him sounds like a happy guy. Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. This one, the mystics, even in different traditions, to take a perennialist kind of perspective. And, and, and so they have gone about acquiring knowledge in a different way. Instead of using their mind senses to go and acquire knowledge through the external world, they have taken, taken an inverse route and, and looked within. And they've gathered knowledge, and then, from the Eastern perspective, it's been written down in sacred texts, right? Let's say, like the Gita, Upanishads, whatever. I mean, they have different histories and whatnot, but they're all the same genre of sacred, sacred texts. They're all about this kind of subject matter. That's what they're all about. They're not about external knowledge of how to better yourself in this world in a relative sense. They're about how to become perfectly happy, how to have perfect knowledge. There has to be a perfect method. 
mind, intellect, or an imperfect method for acquiring knowledge. Perfect method is that per you put yourself in a position where perfection will reveal itself to you. If you're imperfect and you want to become perfect, let's say you're imperfectly happy or unhappy, <laughs> and you want to be perfectly happy, everyone wants to be perfectly happy. Fair enough? Okay. So there, there is something called perfect happiness. Everyone's looking for it. We say it doesn't exist, it doesn't stop you from looking for it, so who's crazy? Those who say that it exists and look for it, those who say it doesn't exist but still look for it. Right? So perfect knowledge, perfect happiness. Knowledge is that which informs actions. Perfect knowledge is that knowledge which informs actions by which I become perfectly happy. So there's something called perfect happiness. Right? Perfect knowledge. Sattva is characterized by knowledge and happiness. For example, right, so they go together as a point. Perfect knowledge, there is perfect knowledge by which you can become perfectly happy. But you can't get it with imperfect means under themselves. So the mind and the senses and the intellect are, are imperfect under themselves. That's our theory. Hmm? And um, so, our approach is a perfect approach. How's that? Is that because there is perfect knowledge, which is what we're looking for, we make the obvious conclusion that it has a power, because it's perfect, to make the imperfect perfect. So we rely on it, rather than our imperfect means, become perfectly happy because it's perfect and we're imperfect then we have regard for it so we seek the grace of perfect knowledge it might be blessed with that it might come to us put ourselves in a position of of acknowledging that, if I, that I, this is what I'm doing I want to be perfectly happy I've been going about it in, by imperfect ways. Hmm? Here's a way in which others have pursued it, and there are examples. They're perfectly happy. They don't need a television. Or whatever. Right? Uh, I've given an example of Hari Das lives in a cave chanting Hare Krishna. 22 and a half hours a day. He's pretty happy. Doesn't need anything. Hmm? How happy you want to be? So, so, and you have to understand the reason you're unhappy because you want things. Therefore, you're unhappy because you don't have them. Or to get them, you got to do something. You got to exert some energy. If you were happy, you wouldn't do anything. Or whatever you would do would just be play. Right? We find people who are very wealthy, uh, very educated and so forth but their lives may be a total mess they may be depressed so we, we look to other people who, who are actually com- complete they don't have necessities they don't have any wants these are symptoms they don't have any, any want, any desire they must be full in themselves and they 
speak and have revealed through them books have come what that in that eternal knowledge perfect knowledge they've they, they, they've articulated it let's say in sacred books so it's one of the ways in which we can start to approach the perfect knowledge in a way in which it has shown itself to the world it's shown itself to the sage and the sage has shown it further to us with a commentary for example or something so it's revealed and and then in using our minds using our intelligence in relation to the perfect knowledge then they have utilization for becoming perfect now you've got uh, more capital you've got a little happiness you've got a penny I got something hmm but you want to grow it so you get in touch with someone who has more money and then you connect with a person who's got a hundred pennies a dollar you put your penny there and go with him you got a hundred more right so something like that so so this is how we um, look at the sacred texts now obviously they're 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 a an example of, of perfection, the absolute, the infinite, expressing itself to the finite, answering the question that human life constitutes. Human life is, is the question, why? Why am I? What is the meaning, purpose? This is what human life is. It's a big question. Who's going to answer that? Is matter going to answer that? No. That has to come from the consciousness world. Hmm? Because consciousness is asking it. That's where meaning, value it derives. It's a seat of, of value, meaning, and purpose. Hmm? So, so we, have, we approach the perfection. Perfect. Now, this, the scriptures is, a, is an expression of that. If we have a good association to, to have been be taught, understood to us, we learn how to apply ourselves. Hmm? Then we're on a different course we're pursuing the same thing that everyone else is pursuing hmm? but we, we certainly we're not we're using our intellect entirely we're not being unreasonable we're using our minds using our senses we're using it in conjunction with we've got much more help we've got another factor hmm? so our chances of becoming successful in pursuing the perfect happiness that everyone's pursuing are much greater you understand? Our ideas let that perfection, imperfection, perfection won't arise out of imperfection unto itself. So perfection can make the imperfect perfect. You could say practice makes perfect, but you've got to practice perfection. <laughs> you got to know what it is. Right? And to hear about it. So there's revealed knowledge, and then there's there's ordinary knowledge. There's there's spiritual knowledge, and there's mundane knowledge. And there are texts that represent that spiritual knowledge, and they have a tradition uh, of centuries and of uh, graduates 
examples, mystics. And it's kind of a secret knowledge because it's not the kind of knowledge that everyday knowledge that people are interested in. But really, it is the knowledge everyone's interested in because everyone is, whatever they're interested in, this, that, and the other thing, they're really only trying to be happy in one place. That's all. How much are they getting? That's the question. How happy are you? Then we ask for an honest assessment. And, and then you say, well, I'm pretty happy. I got this, 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 and this. Then. Okay. Okay, that's pretty good. Then what if I tell you you can't keep it? <laughs> that would not be too good. Uh, that's the fact. So, I mean, these are the kind of things that... Uh, uh, people, fortunate people, what kind of thoughts that will come to them. And they're going to move away from the, from the masses, so to speak. Their pursuit of the same thing, but through it, without help, and imperfect means. Really, the very mind, the senses, these are all manifestations of, of karma, which is the problem. I'm going to get you out of it. But you can use them spiritually. You have to use your eyes to read. You have to use your mind and intellect to understand. Does that help? Um, secret, secret books. Sacred books. They're sacred books. There's ordinary books. They're sacred books. There's a misunderstanding of sacred books also, which manifests as, as religion is full of bigotry and, and, and violence and other things. We find that in our own tradition. Nazi-loving, homophobic, uh, I've seen it, bigots. And they think that they're, that they're espousing Gaudi Vaishnav perspectives right? and it happens in other religions as well so we're, 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 Bhaktisiddhanta was quick to, to um, critique his own tradition yeah. not just others but his own so we should as well um, but that said so there can only be abuse of a good thing if there's a good thing to begin with so these sacred texts they're very valuable if you really uh study them with a teacher and you're going to get a different kind of uh, knowledge. You're going to get the knowledge that, 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 for example, as we often say, more, less is more. That's, that's, that's not the common knowledge. The common knowledge is more is more. <laughs> not that less is more. That's backwards. Hmm? All right. We'll stop there. Thank you.